So welcome back everybody, I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph and you're listening to Folk on Falcons. This week we're going to do a quick recap of the Castro match, look forward to Leicester, there's quite a lot of players that have gone between the teams, so we'll talk about them and how their careers have flourished or not, as the case may be. We'll have a quick chat about deliberate knock-ons and the fact that they seem to be getting penalised more and more. Quick roundup of the European fixtures and finally finish on the European League tables. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep, so on Facebook, all you have to do is simply search for us at Folk on Falcons. And for Twitter, it's exactly the same. Just search for at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to email us, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. Thank you, Ian. So, I guess we're off to start of the um, nice trip to France and came back with four points. Birch gave it too hard. I suppose in the end, it was slightly frustrating that we didn't get our first five points of the season. Um, but... Uh, you know, win away in France is always really nice, no matter what the circumstances. First half, we were dominant, weren't we? Straight from the off. Um, but all the territory, all the possession, which actually I suppose, has been rare this season so far in the sense that we we have, we have were so dominant in those areas. Um, but just didn't take our chances. It was sloppy, lots of knock-ons and forced errors. Um, we had, certainly that first half, probably about three or four decent chances, which we didn't take, apart from a couple of penalties that were kicked over by Conan. And Castro had a couple of sort of half chances, but were taken magnificently. And that was really the difference. And it was really frustrating to go into half time, uh, I suppose, behind, even though, of course, we were in touch, it was only 10-9, but to actually be behind, considering all the territory and possession we had, and we were against the wind in the second half. But second half, we were much better. Um, I thought defensively we seemed a bit more sound, um, but the real changes came in the change of personnel, especially the centres, uh, when Van der Volt and Obana came on. Uh, I mean, Obana in particular, I think he set up all three tries, um, so th- those were the difference in the end, and they had a few other players who really sort of made a name for themselves that night. Um, I thought Coe was really good on the wing. Uh, I thought he put a really good, solid performance. It would have been nice to cap that performance with a try. But I thought else, um, elsewhere around the pitch and everything else it was really good. Wilson, as you mentioned before, kind of did what he does, which is quietly get on with things and do it very well. I thought he was excellent in the breakdown. So I think some of the debutants or players coming back made a real good sort of account themselves. I thought Vuna put a good shift considering he'd been out for so long. So yeah, I thought there was a lot of positives to take out, but I thought there's a lot to work on. But again, it was a quite experimental squad, wasn't it? We can sort of be a bit more hopeful for this competition now. We've got a win on the board. Castro obviously going to be out of it now. Um, and it kind of depends, you know, what how well we do in the Cardiff away game, which is the next fixture in this competition. Indeed. Um, I think Oscar also played very well. It's the best game I've seen him have for quite a long time. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's the experience he's got, because I know that Castro had a very, very young team out there. And he, he might have... Um, be able to exploit them necessarily he might not necessarily have his half yard of pace he once had but the experience might make up for it but he looked thoroughly in control for the whole 80 minutes and um i thought that yeah as you say wilson at the breakdown just got on with things did it very well and then uh, players like kerr look quite lively i think that the match itself with us not being so good in the first half but being clinical at the end could have had a lot to do with the experience of the two squads again they were young guns up for it but then didn't have the game management to see it out. I think um, other teams with that sort of lead would have made it a lot more difficult for us to get back into it, and they would have probably shut us out and not let us get three tries in the last 
15 minutes. Yeah, I think what you saw with Castro is the sort of theme that you're seeing throughout the other French rugby at the moment, where there's a really, really good core, well, not just core, but a, a large number of very good young French players coming through. So as you say, that Castro team was very young. They made the point of how many Davidons or, or teenagers or you know, many of them had only made one or two appearances at that level. Um, but some of the, especially their tries, were absolutely superb by some of those young players. Um, and I think you're right in the sense that in the end, the experience told and I think in the second half we really kind of strangled them out of the game they never really got much in our half apart from when we pulled away and they sort of got a couple of consolation tries towards the end um, I thought we were in control of the second half maybe that's when the experience did tell but I thought they did have a lot of really exciting young players come from as we've, we've mentioned before that seems to be a running theme currently in French rugby Yeah you mentioned their consolation try at the end it was really frustrating actually because at that point they were down to 14 men obviously with the sin bin. And that was the time for us to get that bonus point. And we just let it get away from ourselves. And what really annoyed me actually was at the end, we were about 10 points ahead. So we were never going to lose the match. And we got a turnover and Matavesi hoofed out the back of the pitch. I've got no idea why we didn't try running it. If Castro get a losing bonus point, it's not like they're going to put a great deal of pressure on us. We're not, if we, if we come ninth in this competition by one point to Castro, fair enough. Great that we didn't let them have it. But that's not going to happen in reality. Why did we hoof the ball out? Why not try and get that bonus point for us? It was worth trying for. It would have made quite a big difference at the end of the competition, I feel. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Um, I know that by the 80th minute, they'd got to the full contingent of 15 men. And that was, that was the other thing. Well, 14, wasn't it? Um, so I think that was the other thing. We had the period where... They oh, of course, yeah. They're, men, they're we got net zero from... Yeah, they were down to 13, not 14, because I had that sin bin, but then because of the, um, the front row having to rotate, the, the quite rightly, they were only on 13. I remember it used to really, really annoy me when teams used to milk the um, uncontested scrums when they got sin bins and fake injuries and all the rest of it. And quite rightly, a few years ago, they changed the laws such that uh, if you had to go uncontested, you were not allowed to bring a replacement on to disincentivize the effectively fake injuries. But when when the opposition is down to 13 men, you've really got to be putting a few points pass off, a few more tries passing than we did. But yeah, I yeah. mean, with that, that extra point that potentially we could have got, um, I mean, the league, that league, the pool's quite tight. Um, I think one point could actually make quite a bit of difference because you're going to have a lot of teams who are going to be getting a lot of similar amount of points. And that one point could be absolutely crucial in the end. I know we would have had to try and run it from our own trial line, but I think it was probably worth a go because we were on top by that stage of the game. We had nothing to lose. I think it was probably worth a go. I mean, all right, yeah, if you're knocking on or whatever, 40 metres up the pitch, you've tried your best and it was worth a go. But yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe better game management and maybe seeing the bigger picture and not kick the ball straight out like Matavesi did. Well, with with the changes to penalties at the end of the match over the last few years, you don't actually have to run it from your own trial line anymore. You can run it a bit, set it up in your 22, get a penalty at the breakdown, then hoof it the length of the pitch and you've still got the line out. So it's not like when you used to have to not make the ball go dead or whatever. You can now just play structured rugby and work your way up the pitch. It's not like you've got to run it in from 80 yards. Or, um, so, yeah, it was, it was annoying. Within the match itself, um, I know we briefly mentioned some, some of the good performances. Um, I think... I was very worried about our centres. Um, Lukok didn't cover himself with glory. It seemed like most of the passes he made went into touch or missed the, missed the target. Um, defensively, I say he wasn't 
quite the right standard. I'm hoping it was just a, a poor performance for him, but I'm not sure he'll be getting too many more appearances if he keeps playing like that. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're going to have such strong competition, the centres of Orlando coming imminently. Yeah, it was disappointing. I think when we're at the very start of the season, we're talking about the new signings, we saw that one and thought, you know, maybe he had a couple of decent appearances and caught behind the championship and it's a low risk transfer, really. Um, from the bases we've seen, I know it's only a couple of games and perhaps not in the best circumstances in terms of a, a, a rusty team of rusty personnel being thrown together. Uh, not great. I mean, as you say, a couple of the wayward passes were terrible. Um, his kicking's been poor. It's a shame, really. I mean, obviously, you don't like to see new signings sort of underperform, but I think that one's a bit of a miss. Uh, Matavesi was disappointing. I didn't think he really added much, unfortunately, in attack. Um, and I thought when, when we did swap the centre around and change the personnel, it was quite clearly an improvement. So I think the main issue, I think in the first half as well, in terms of not taking any chances, I know field players knocked on or whatever, but in terms of making the game line, they just weren't there really. Um, it's a shame. You mentioned up on it, I think Van der Velt in the back row, um, he just adds that go forward bit of oomph. He always seems to make a, a yard, half a yard more than you'd expect him to when he goes into contact and he gets the players on the front foot. I think some scrum half again, nice quick ball from Stewart. He's a funny player, Sam Stewart, but I feel that he gives a new dimension. I think in the past we've often had scrum halves that are very similar to each other, so you don't have that extra dimension if you bring someone else off the bench. Whereas I think Sam Stewart gets very quick ball and he's quite a snipey sort of player, whereas Mickey Young's a bit more structured. Yeah, I mean, Sam Stewart's got a bit of pace about him as well. Um, you're always confident if he does get a pass, like more like the try he scored. Um, you're always confident that once he did get that break, he had the pace to finish it. And you don't actually see that in a lot of scrum halves. That sort of that kind of pace, as you say, um, you often see scrum halves, especially at the top level, because makes the physicality of players more like, as you say, structured players like Mickey Young, who tend to sort of just take it out the back, maybe do the odd sniping run, but kick a lot. Um, I think Stuart, as you say, has a different dimension and is slightly different. So always nice to have in your armory, I guess. Yeah, and um, I know we mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago, Conan. I think once again in the open, he played quite all right, but. His place kicking was once again a concern. You do get these phases that some fly halves seem to go through where they can't hit a barn door. And I'm just hoping that he's in a phase like that and it's not something that's going to become endemic to his career. Yeah, I mean, I thought his kicking on the whole was a bit better this week. I mean, he, he got, yeah, I believe he did get most of his place kicks, but also it was the conditions there were, from the looks of it, apparently were very, very windy. Um, and he didn't manage to careful kick quite well considering it in the wind but um, yeah I mean it wasn't a perfect kicking performance but I think at least it was in the right direction I think if he just improves it a bit more you know we, we're getting to where he should be and where he was a couple of years ago when he was probably arguably the best place kicker in the club I know we mentioned that these last couple of matches the European ones they've been an opportunity for certain players to make a name for themselves and maybe push into the first-team squad, or at least the bench. Um, I think Mark Wilson, we both agree, will end up in the squad. Whether he starts or ends up on the bench, I'm not sure, next weekend. But are there any other players that you expect to see that perhaps have put, put themselves into the fray who formerly weren't? Um, difficult to tell, because obviously the the first team, the one that's playing in the league, is doing so well. Um, I suppose you'd have Blamire in there, but he's normally in that squad anyway on the bench. Um, I would like to see maybe 
Van, I think Van der Velde should be in there. Uh, maybe Kerr. I think Kerr's worth a shot, actually. Um, I think he's maybe a slightly different type of winger to what we're currently playing with. Maybe worth having the squad. Um, but it's hard to tell on the basis of a cup performances. And you've got to remember, especially against Castro, it was a very much young, weakened Castro team. Whether you know some of those will replicate that type of performance week in, week out in the Premiership. Uh, maybe Obana, because you've seen quite a good physical unit when he came on. I think maybe he could probably handle the stepper. Uh, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I think maybe a few players did kind of put their name in there. I mean, we've got players like R. Scott, of course, who... You know, we kind of know what they bring, but it's interesting. I think the the, the squad that is now in the Premiership is probably the one you'd keep with, as we've talked before about. We don't want it being disrupted too much. Um, we'll see, I guess, the Cardiff game in January. If some of these players who played against Castro step up again and we get a win away to Cardiff, that should probably qualify us, considering we don't fail home to Castro. But yeah, it's interesting. I think maybe some did put their, their names in the window a bit. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know Penny's fitness status is. I know he went off injured in the, the last game against Wasps, but if he's fit, then I don't suspect there'll be any changes there. We'll probably see Conlon on the bench and Hodgson starting. But I think if um, Penny's still injured, then either Arscott or going at fullback or potentially Hodgson and then Arscott on the bench. I mean, all potentially, I mean, I was talking about different type of wingers, but Bruner as well, he's a very much a different type of winger to what we currently have. I mean, maybe a bit horses for courses, but maybe questions mark still over his rustiness and fitness. But um, again, this is where I mentioned in terms of the Cardiff game in January, if you play players like Bruno who are kind of coming back, maybe with bigger names kind of just trying to find their feet again and they put in good performances. And I think then you can, they're probably worthy of consideration, but we'll have to see us move in that regard. Yeah, I know that uh, Vuna's coming back from injury, etc. but I feel that, Unfortunately, he to me he looks like a winger on the way out. He's lost he's lost his pace. Positionally, he's fine. He's obviously got the experience, but I see him becoming less of a feature over the next couple of years, not more of a feature as players like Kerwood. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes it's unfortunate when you do get players who have long term substantial injuries when they come back. You know, in in their brain, the way they 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 read the game, they're they're as sharp as ever, perhaps, but physically they just can't match it. Um, maybe, and for, uh, I hope not, but maybe Bruno might fall in that category. I mean, he, I suppose he could prove us wrong, but, but I suppose my point is is that if he does get back up to fitness, he does manage to prove himself. I think it's just another option in the back that so we don't currently have that, that physicality because we've talked before how our weakness is perhaps under the high ball and we don't have the height or the physicality to challenge that. Maybe Bruno could be an option there, but again, we'll have to see how well he does. Yeah, he definitely didn't play badly. Positionally, he was fine. Defensively, he was okay. But I think he just didn't look like he had. He wasn't sharp. He didn't have any attacking sort of flair. I hope he can get it back. I really do, because he's a quality player. and Or he has been in the past, and I just hope that we can see him doing it wearing the black jersey. But I guess only time will tell. Looking at his age, I think he's in his early 30s now. He won't have that many bites of the cherry left. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, do you try and play Rooney in the hope that he can, can rediscover form or do you keep faith which I'm sure you probably will with young guns like Radwan and Stevenson who have the whole careers ahead of them are only going to get better as things stand and especially if you play them week in week out in a winning team you know they're only as I say they're only going to get better would you disrupt that I mean apart from injury would you disrupt that to bring someone like Bruder in even if you know he does kind of get his match sharpness back probably not I would have thought so Looking forward to Leicester next week. Obviously, they had a good result the weekend against Bayonne. 
28-20 victors. Like us, they played a very different team. So I, I guess to try and read so much into European performances and translate it to Premiership performances is probably a bit naive. How do you think it's going to pan out next week? It's going to be tough because I think, unlike the other games, there's going to be pressure on us. So, I mean, we've had the wins. People, we're going to have an expectation of ourselves, which are different to when the season started. They're going to have different expectations of us. Um, we, I think we still have to look at it as a, not well, to put it harshly, a basement battle in the sense that we, we need those points because if we can get those points, not only does it obviously give us that gap between ourselves and Leicester, presumably are going to be towards the bottom half of the table. It also, I think, lays down the gauntlet as well because if we can really do a job on Leicester or even just beat Leicester, we can prove to everyone else, you know, it's not just the fact, you know, that these good teams have had their players out for internationals or whatever the other excuses have been. You know, it shows that, you know, yes, we've deserved all those wins. We can beat anyone. You know, Leicester have come in close with a bit of fall. I mean, the thing with Leicester as well is that they've been very on off this season. So, you know, I've watched them, especially like in London Irish, they were terrible. But then there's been a couple of games this season where they've actually played pretty well. So we don't really know what Leicester team is going to turn up at Kingston Park. Generally, they seem to be playing better at home. So maybe that kind of helps us. Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 the game that we've been keeping out over the past few weeks. I know we've mentioned it a few times. The other games were sort of, you know, we thought, well, if we can get something brilliant, but this is this is the game that we really should be winning if we want to, first of all survive but then kind of work our way at the table so I think there's a lot of pressure on it I do think we'll win I do think we are a better team but it's going to be I think a different feeling to the previous games we've had so far yes and you say work our way up the table we are kicking off at two o'clock Exeter are kicking off at three o'clock or three thirty I believe so there is the chance that we can for at least an hour or so be top of the table on Boxing Day which would be absolutely fantastic if that was the case um also, extra whether their match actually goes ahead. Who knows? I know they've had coronavirus issues this week. Um, let's hope for the good of rugby that they can get it out there, out their system in time for next weekend's match, and they don't have to postpone or cancel another one. Yeah, I mean, we were obviously when the fixtures came out, we were obviously dreading um, the the start. And again, I mentioned the fact that we we sort of earmarked Leicester as one where we we really need points. But um, yeah, I mean, if we can go into the next calendar year, having won every every single league game. I mean, absolutely superb. And, you know, and only in terms of literal points between ourselves and who we thought we would be competing against was above the table. It's just absolutely superb. I mean, I think then we could we'll actually be able to say to people, you know, look, we, we deserve this. We've played all these different types of teams home and away. As we've had to play, you know, well, what's about a third of the teams in the league by that stage? And you can, I think you then can sort of say, yes, we are on the right way. We're we're a good team. We should be okay. And then if we do win, and we, then the following week we'll be playing Bristol in a second, second or third place potentially, eight ten pointer. Yeah, potentially. I mean, I suppose it's hard to not get too carried away. I suppose, but that, that I think suppose that be a different sort of match and sense of what our expectation would be. I think if we beat Leicester, then beat Bristol away. I mean, we could we could be looking at sort of think well should we be looking for top four this season um but i think how we go into the bristol game thing very obviously very much depends on the leicester result um if we lose to leicester at home i think bristol becomes very difficult if we beat leicester i think we can just as we've done with some of the other games this season we can really just kind of go all out have a go at it can't we in the same way as yeah, so bristol often approach games and just sort of see what happens and so far it's worked but we'll have to exactly um over the years, 
Falcons have had quite a good, let's say, player exchange with Leicester. The Hello Again feature, I guess, can make a return. Um, the ones that I, I'm going to list off from top of my head um, that we've got in our squad, we've got McGuigan, Moopola, Mickey Young, Flood, Peterson, and I thought also I think Gareth Owen might have um, played for them as well. And then going the other way, obviously, Callum Green, I think, starts week in, week out for them now. So... Which teams have had the better out of those players' careers, do you think? Um, well, what tends, what traditionally has tended to happen is we would have some decent players and then Leicester come along and take out decent players. And generally, they don't do as well or they sort of end up, it's a bit disappointing for them. And either what happens is they, they sort of come back to us or they go to clubs of sort of similar stature to us. So generally, um, it's not usually uh, grass is green on the other side um, but I think that's generally the way it's sort of worked out hasn't it in terms of they've sort of pinched out better players over the years it's, I, mean, I can't imagine it's happened very much the other way I think the only times it does happen the other way is when we have some of their older players or players who aren't you know starting week in week out and we sort of snap them up I think that's the way it's kind of gone hasn't it yeah looking through this list here so many of them have gone one way and come back to us so McGuigan, Mickey Young, Flood, they're the obvious ones that have gone there and come back. And I think Flood was good for us when he was young. He left when there was the mass exodus. He had a reasonable career with Leicester, started most weeks, played for England. And then obviously he's finishing off his career at Falcons. So I think he's just as integral to our squad now as he was to Leicester, albeit in a slightly different way. Um, but then Mickey Young started off just like Toby Flood with us. Moved to Leicester, but it didn't really work out from there. Um, don't know if he was promised things that didn't happen or he didn't develop the way that they saw it. But um, his career, I wouldn't say, advanced much. He might have had different coaching, etc., which might have benefited him in the long run. But uh, I think that the limelight of his career has been the last few years when he's been back with us. And then McGuigan, I think, once again, he went there with various promises and he's come back. And I think that he's now in the form of his life. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, I mean, I suppose Leicester may look at someone like McGuigan and think, oh, well, there's one that got away. But, uh, I mean, there's been other ones over the years, isn't there, I suppose, which, not the sense that they've been at Falcons and then gone to Leicester, but uh, Gonover, for example, who was at Leicester and then came to us, was superb for us. I mean, that may be one for Leicester who they thought got away. I mean, I think they probably released him because they thought he was getting on a bit, which in age wise, I suppose he probably was, but then turns out he was absolutely brilliant for us. So there has been the odd occasion where. It sort of hasn't worked out for them to our advantage. Well, that's his Mulapola as well. I mean, he, I mean, obviously Mulapola spent a long time at Leicester, was excellent at Leicester, but I suppose he was forced down in terms of younger competition. But he's perfectly solid for us. I mean, if he must be in the top half of props in the Premiership still, and I'm sure he's probably at least as good as anyone who's currently at Leicester. So again, that, that's an odd one. Um, maybe it's sort of symptomatic of maybe some of Leicester's problems over the recent years. Why do you think it is that we've got so many players that go back and forth? Do you think there's a good relationship between the clubs or the agents know each other's numbers on speed dial or what? Possibly. I mean, maybe Dean, the Dean Richards connection. Um, it's hard to tell. I mean, I guess only, with only 12 clubs in the league, maybe you get that more often. But I, I don't know. It, it's just it's curious. It's a funny one, I guess. Yeah, so if we, if we go on to daring to predict the score for next weekend, um, how do you see it panning out? Um, oh, gosh, hard one. Don't want to jinx things as well, but... Um, 28-18 to Falcons. Is that with a bonus point or without a bonus point? Go on, with a bonus point. Go on, then. I see, I see us grinding out probably a 22-17 victory and we'll score probably two or three tries and a load of kicks. Once again, both of us predicted victories and we know what happened last time we did that. Hmm. Promptly lost, so <laughs> let's hope we're wrong or right. 
if that makes sense. Feature this week, I'd like to talk about deliberate knock-ons and the changing interpretation of various laws over the years. Um, when I was much younger, you never really saw them given that often, apart from when it was really blatant. As time's gone by, it seemed to be that intercepts, when they went wrong, started getting, getting given as deliberate knock-ons. And then following that, you started getting yellow cards for deliberate knock-ons. And now, you, this weekend especially in Europe, I've seen two penalty tries given for deliberate knock-ons. And these were penalty tries in addition to a yellow card when the knock-on was on about the 22 and there was a covering full-back, albeit quite a number of yards away. But it seems to be now that referees presume a winger isn't going to drop the ball and is going to saunter into the corner. Do you think the current interpretation is correct, harsh, or, or what? I mean, I'm obviously growing up with the sport as you have. I, I My gut feeling is that it's harsh because I think players are entitled to try. Um, I know that if you obviously cut the ball out and if you hand, you know, you, the other team would have scored, then you should be penalised. Um, I, I just kind of think, unless, as you say, it's absolutely blatant, I just think you give the penalty. Um, I think you you should always be entitled to try and, and catch the ball. I mean, there's no real Reason. There's no reason why why you shouldn't, unless, uh, as you mentioned, it's obviously quite deliberate. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that's kind of crept in, as, as you say. Uh, and no real obvious reason as, as to why. I mean, there has been obviously subtle changes over the years, more to do with one of reduced sort of head injuries and that, that sort of area. But in this, you're right, actually, because when you mentioned it before, it did get me thinking. And you do see it a lot more often than, than you ever used to in terms of being very harshly punished. And, and it's funny because there's no as i say no obvious reasons to why that's the case really it's kind of just sort of sneaked in there so the ones this weekend i can kind of see the reason for awarding a penalty try if you believe it's a deliberate deliberate knock-on then a penalty offense which prevents a try a penalty try should be awarded but that does not necessarily go hand in hand with the yellow card and i think that to yellow card someone and award a penalty try is extremely harsh when the offence takes place on perhaps the 22. And what I'm concerned about is that over the last couple of seasons, you've seen, or oh, since the advent of the video ref, you now get knock-ons given when there are tackles and a swinging arm knocks a, an offload or the, the pass forward. I'm, I'm waving my arms around here, which is thoroughly useless on a podcast. However, what I mean is the attacker tries to do a quick pass, the defender storms up and kind of their open side or... Their, their swinging arm on the towards the winger's side ends up knocking the ball forward. Before the video ref, it was t- tended to be play on, someone picks it up, runs the length of the pitch, scores, it's a try. And then since the video ref, in super slow-mo, you see quite rightly, it's actually a knock-on from the tackler. So they bring it back for a scrum. And then now every now and again, the referees seem to be believing that players are swinging their arm around deliberately to knock the ball on. And I've seen yellow cards given for somebody in a tackle knocking the ball on and i think that are they deliberately knocking it on i'm not sure are they deliberately getting in the way of the pass and it could go anywhere quite possibly but to give a deliberate knock on when you're in the process of a tackle i think is quite harsh i mean the only thing i can sort of think of the basis to why you get the double jeopardy as it were is obviously you see very much nowadays when penalty tries are given for example when someone brings a mall down or whatever usually yellow cards given so it's maybe just on the basis of the fact that you've done something deliberate to prevent a obvious try. Well, on that basis, it kind of ticks that box and you get to yellow card as well for consistency. Um, but yeah, I, I, but it seems to be, as you say, even if 
the play takes place a good few meters out from the try line. I mean, okay, yes, if it's only a couple meters out, but as you say, if it's on the 22, a lot of play can still happen then. And I think it's probably is too harsh to kind of get that double jeopardy of a sim bidding and a penalty try. It's interesting you mentioned the um, the sim bidding for collapsing malls on the five meter line, etc. Because I remember before sim bins existed, you used to get a reasonable number of yellow cards for professional foul play, i.e. collapsing a mall. You'd get things for... If there was a bit of fisticuffs, it would be a couple of yellow cards. Or just the the player that refuses to roll away, it would be a penalty and a, and a yellow card. That was before sin binning. And when sin binning was introduced, it was never intended to replace yellow cards. It was just to be kind of a, an extra disincentive. And there's an awful lot of penalties now for what I would call professional foul play that don't result in a yellow card whereas historically they would have been yellow card offences yeah well I suppose it's just evidence that the way the rules are interpreted and maybe the game in general is sort of changing towards one direction or, or another um, but it, it, the interesting thing about it is that it kind of comes in stealthily and from the face of it there's no real basis as to why some of these things are changing which is ironic because in this day and age you know we have so much video ref we can have so much tv analysis and discussion but quite often we don't know as to why that analysis needs to take place or what kind of brought on about the change to bring that on so it's interesting but i mean in terms of as you say deliberate knock-ons i guess i'm at a loss as to why it would be so hard as to why we are seeing this trend of being so harshly punished um especially as you say in a lot of circumstances where the play just happens so far from from the try line and i also think that um the awarding of deliberate knock-ons or even penalty tries disincentivizes players to go for intercepts and i think that an intercept try is one of the the best things to see in rugby it's exciting changes the game on a sixpence and it gets the crowd really enjoy it and if players are going to start being reticent to go for them then two things happen firstly you won't get those breakaway tries and secondly if players don't take that risk then they'll just defend conventionally and they'll shepherd a player into touch and you won't have the player going for the intercept missing it then that winger having an extra bit of space in the overlap. Um, so you don't get that attacking benefit from a defender missing the intercept try attempt. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because one of the criticisms of the sport in general recently has been that defence is so on top. So, I mean, and one of the things that kind of unlocks that defence and brings some excitement is the intercept try. And I think you're definitely right in saying that there's defenders off from even attempting it i don't think there should be anything wrong with attempting it it's like anything you know sometimes you do try something yes you know you may give away the penalty in the attempt it's not you know it's not serious professional foul it's not serious you know deliberate play in the sense that you're trying to deliberately give something away you are going for something which you're entitled to and i think you're right in that it, it, it the the sport needs to have that in its locker to, to entertain and to kind of unlock what we're seeing at the moment, which is very much defence on top. So, if we move on to this week's matches, um, should we start with the Champions Cup? Yep, go ahead. Um, La Rochelle beat Bath 28-0. Scarlet's the same scoreline against Toulon. Wasps beat Montpellier 33-14, so it was a bit of a turnaround from when we played them. Glasgow 0, Lyon 28, and Toulouse 28, Exeter 0. But obviously those the abandonment for coronavirus there so there's the five point award um do you think the five point award's fair or do you think it's unduly advantageous to the team which doesn't have it and quite unfair on the team that potentially by no fault of their own has got coronavirus going around their squad i think it's 
very unfair and sort of makes a mockery of the competition because if you're just going to award five points to teams and zero to other teams, then you know how, how do you make it a competition? For example, you have Exeter already facing an uphill struggle just to get out the group through. You know, arguably it's no fault of their own um i think if you had deliberate you know deliberate or serious breaches of coronavirus protocol and that's why a team was inflicted with it then i think you can award the you know five points or even four points but otherwise i think it's just an unduly harsh i mean but you have for example you could we get situations for example where glasgow i believe had to call off their game and they played exeter not that long ago so they could have caught it from exeter within the past week or so and um, you know so how is that fair that Glasgow have to forfeit their match um, on the basis that they could have just caught it through playing the match in which they were supposed to play in yeah it's only a matter of time till clubs start hiring coronavirus ridden moles to go into the opposition training grounds and things and sneeze or coughing on everybody um carrying on the score lines um Leinster beat Northampton 35-19 Bordeaux beat uh, Newport went Dragons or Dragons as they seem to now be called 47-8 Sale lost 15-16 at home to Edinburgh Gloucester had an absolute cracker with Ulster 38-14 victors Clermont or Venn 31 Munster 39 in that one Clermont wrapped up their bonus point try within 20-25 minutes and then completely took their foot off the gas and it was probably one of the greatest comebacks in European rugby history and they didn't even end up with a losing bonus point at the end of it it was a cracking game and then the final scores today, um, Harlequins uh, lost 49-7 at home to Racing 92, which terrible result for them. And it's currently nil all between Connaught and Bristol. We'll just have to see how that one pans out. Um, it be interesting to see how Bristol do in that game because traditionally Connaught's been the weaker of the Irish provinces. Obviously, we've got them in a fortnight's time. In the, the Challenge Cup, we came out 26-17 winners, obviously, at Castro on Friday night. And... Breve lost 18-16 to Zebra. Then on Saturday, we had Benetton nil. Again, 28 and Cardiff, 28. Stadfront say nil. Um, I'm not sure. Were those two, once again, coronavirus abandonments? I don't trust the 28 nil scoreline these days. Yeah, I think you would have thought so. I think it's unlikely you'd have 28 nil otherwise. Yes, looking at the match reports, um, they're both uh, scorer or there were no scorers, etc. So there must have been a walkover. So we then had Bayonne losing 20-28 to Leicester. And Worcester lost 29-38 to Ospreys. Um, and then finally, today, London Irish have just beaten Pau 26 points to 17. That leaves the table. Newcastle, as it stands, currently go through um, in eighth place. We're on points difference ahead of Pau, also on four points. Um, because of those walkover results that we just discussed, tables looking a bit funny. Again, are now on five points after having a five-point walkover, which I just think is not really fair. They've also got extremely good points difference. Not much we can do about it, I suppose. So if we could just go um, from top to bottom, London Irish and Ospreys both on 10, Cardiff and Leicester both on 9, Zebra on 6, again on 5, as a Benetton, Newcastle Falcons on 4 with Pau, Bayon and Worcester on two points, Breve on one, and then Castor and Stadfront say on zero points. And then in the Champions Cup, Leinster and Wasps both have maximum points on ten. Bordeaux and La Rochelle, as well as Scarlets, have nine points. Edinburgh have five, Toulon have four, Sale, Northampton and Bath all have one, Montpellier and Dragons both have zero. So I think that brings us to the end of this week's episode um we're going into christmas second in the league hopefully for at least an hour on boxing day we can be top of the league 
Um, I think 2020 has been a very good year. Only one defeat in it in the whole thing. So Merry Christmas, everyone. And goodbye from me. And it's Merry Christmas from me and goodbye, everyone.